You say you're going to be here at four, you show up at four. I, I was here at four. I was like right in front of my computer and I opened up Skype and it said that I missed a call at four. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, how? You're going to say you're going to be somewhere at four. You'll be there at four. I'm, I'm, I'm here. It's 401. It was, I was here. Not 401, not 415, not 358. Four o'clock. Reminds me, I need to rewatch The Irishman. Oh, no, I was doing Al Pacino from Dick Tracy. Oh, okay. By the way, that turns 30 years old when this episode will come out. Rough 30 years for that movie. I gotta tell you, I think that movie's biggest problem was it was like a rare instance where the first, like, superhero movie or first thing of a time went through the door and didn't just take it to the face because Batman comes out in 89 and then in 1990 that goes through the door and just gets obliterated I think it's because it's like based off of a very very weird comic (laughs) from what I remember like Dick Tracy's kind of bonkers it was like Warren Beatty at the height of his power as a filmmaker Oh, yeah, no, he, like, threw in his then-girlfriend, which I believe was Madonna. He was dating Madonna? Yeah. Well, that answers my question when I was watching this. I was like, I wonder if Warren Beatty ever got with Madonna. I'm like, well, no, question answered. He's in, like, her, like, tour video from around the same time. Interesting. It's got, like, nightmare performances from certain people. Like, William Forsythe plays Flat Top, and it's the most upsetting thing you've ever seen. And they're already making, they already have William Forsythe who has an upsetting face, so. But, like, they added to it. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see them adding did, to it. Did you see? Did you look? No, I haven't. No. It's, and it's got, Come like, on. like I'm not kidding you, James Caan shows up for three minutes in this movie. Dick Tracy seems, oh, God. Oh, dear God. Didn't this movie live action? It's fucking horrific. It's so good. There is a great moment between Dick Tracy and Al Pacino. Al Pacino plays big boy Caprice. And, like, he says to him, he goes, he goes, you like walnuts? He goes, I love walnuts. He goes, they're great for the, the body. And he goes, he goes, but they're bad for the brain. You messed up. And he, like, throws a bag of walnuts in his face. I'm like, did I miss a subplot with walnuts in this movie? Like, where am I? Like, what is this film? Why are you coming in hot talking about Dick Tracy? Like, why? why he's 30 is... years old when this one hits. And I realized that recently. And I was like, oh, you know what? We should have that just that little opening about Dick Tracy. Uh, one of man, the weirdest find... bad movies from 30 years ago. That movie, did it flop? I think it did. No, it did not. Oh, did it do 162 very well? $162 million uh, box office. No, no, it got panned. Oh, yeah, no, I got... Yeah, it got heavily panned, yeah. Everyone was like, no. But I'll tell you, man, I think it has, like, a a thing now where you're like, this had to die so Sin City could live. I recognize why it got panned, because, like, Warren Beatty's coming off of, like, just straight heat as a director, like, (laughs) actor-director. What what a fucking filmography. (laughs) Warren Beatty was the man for a long time. Heaven Can Wait... The remake, the like the the Lubitsch film in '78, you have Reds in '81, Dick Tracy, Bullworth, and then Rules Don't Apply. I gotta tell you, Bullworth is a movie nobody should sleep on, and they should all watch. Have you seen Bullworth? I mean, if we ever do like political comedies, I know the perfect pairing for Bullworth. Oh, I think I know the one you're thinking of. 
Yeah. So it uh, stars Robert Redford. It's very good. It's called The Candidate. I was like, do I know <laughs> the one he's talking about? When the final reel is spun And the credits have been run You can count on the wisdom Of these two white guys talking film Just two white guys talking film. Welcome, everybody, to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from the streets of Paris, where lovers get into situations, to the streets of America, where lovers also get into situations. This is Two White Guys Talking Film. I'm, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. I thought you would be mad at me, but, like, you gave me a movie I liked, and, like, you also gave me, like, a really short movie, so I don't, I don't know what your revenge yeah, plan... Yeah. I don't know what your revenge plan here is, but... Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really a revenge plan. Ah, fair enough. Fair enough. We'll see. I, 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 we'll see. I'll figure yeah. something out. Well, before we can take them, what was the topic? You gave me the real esoteric task of trying to pick a movie written by one director, but directed by another director. I think that's not as uncommon as one thinks. It's, like, think about it. We, like, it's yeah. real hard to like look up movies that are that. You know what I mean? Because it's like a really unwieldy Google search. Yeah, I, I imagine you're going to have to like kind of muster your way through it. But I imagine you'll find a couple. I mean, you could have done Quentin Tarantino's script of Robert Rodriguez's From Dust Till Dawn. It's true. Or I, I could have done True Romance. It's another Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. I could have done AI. You, oh, you son, talk, of, oh, talk about son of a bitch. You so, oh, <laughs> if you wanted to hurt me, that's how you could have done it. AI is a oh. good movie. I like AI. No, no, it's not. No, no. Yeah, you're right. It's a great movie. No, you're no, no. We will not do the existence thing here. Well, <laughs> he knows what he needs if he wants to hurt me. That's that's great. That's good. I'm glad you gave him that gun, Ben. So I guess before we can give them these adaptations of works by other filmmakers who are directed by other filmmakers or however you want to say it. We got to, we got to tell them what we would recommend if they don't want those. So Tyler, you want me to go first or you want to go? Well, the best thing I watched this week was a movie called dumb, a story of big brother magazine. It's like a skateboard magazine from the late to mid nineties to the early two thousands. And it was kind of influential in founding like jackass and jackass subculture. Oh, I've heard of this documentary. Yeah, it's on Hulu. It's very good. It's a very solid documentary if you like skateboarding, if you kind of grew up being enamored by skateboarding like I was in the 90s or early 2000s. It's a fascinating look at like the kind of like edginess of skateboarding of that time period. I found it very interesting. I'm currently in some sort of nostalgia hole where I can't stop watching skateboard documentaries. So I also watched Stoke, The Rise and Fall of Mark Gator Grozowski. Grozowski. Again, a very good, if you really want to like check out, I guess you could watch both. If you watch, the that movie's really good about the early days of skateboarding, like the rise of like bull riding, and then Big Brother kind of takes up like kind of where that ends, which is like the street skating, like the really technical stuff of the 90s. Fair warning, Stoked is also about that skateboarder committing a very heinous murder. So if you're not into that, then, you know, you don't have to watch it. But those are both pretty good movies if you're into skateboarding and kind of want to 
or if you just kind of want to know like the history of skateboarding be a pretty good double feature they're both also like maybe 90 minutes long so they're pretty short and i watched them like in the same afternoon and it was really nice oh brevity and really dark subject matter what a pair for tyler what a tyler pairing well i'm gonna let you build them the other double feature if they don't want to rent the ones that we have picked out already for me i've already got one but you go ahead and you just pick a number between one and 14 seven seven okay well, it's going to be a weird double feature that they're going to take out of here. First thing I watched this week was that really struck my interest was Zoolander 2. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, well, you know, you picked it. <laughs> Zoolander 2 is, if anything, a very complicated movie because I honestly believe Ben Stiller has a vision during those two movies that he has made about male models who are also spies. But I almost feel like that vision is a joke only for him. Yeah, I can see that. It's a little too weird. Like, but at the same time, it also works, like, at times, too. And there are times he's incredibly funny. It is also Will Ferrell's weirdest character. Like, fight me on it. I'm, and I'm, I'm saying pull everything from SNL. It is his weirdest character. I can see that. I think the idea of, like, a male model also being a super spy is an interesting idea for a series of like 60s comedies that kind of got transplanted into the 90s that's what it feels like it really does it feels like a throwback to like the really high concept type of comedies the other thing i watched and if you're looking for you know something to perfectly pair with it this is not it but it wasn't the best thing i saw this week it wasn't the worst thing I saw this week, but it was certainly maybe the most unique thing I saw this week. At one point, I asked Tyler to please do something for me to help me figure out a way to watch something. And he shot back. He's like, (laughs) well, you can do this. And I was like, I was like, oh, but I've already started this. And I sent him a picture with some words on it. And he said, that's not the opening to Return of the Living Dead, is it? I'm like, it might be. And he's like, yeah, you should probably just watch that. Why do you like Return of the Living Dead is my first question. And second Um, of all, why have I never seen Return of the Living Dead until now is my second question. Return of the Living Dead, I think, is... I mean, I saw it when I was, like, in sixth grade, so I was 12. So I got the nostalgia blinders on while I talk about this, just so everyone knows. I think it's, like, one of my favorite zombie movies because it strikes this weird balance between... I'm actually looking at a poster of it right now. It's the most badass poster you've ever seen. Oh, it's such a good poster. I'm actually looking at a the a, like Italian version of the poster. Oh, nice. That makes it look much more like a zombie movie. It, it strikes this like weird balance between like a version of punk that doesn't exist, it never existed. I I think I really relate to the characters because it's like a smaller town. They're like kids who like are different scenes, but because they're the only type of people like that in the town, they kind of banded together because they're all outsiders. And then on top of that, you just have like weird zombie shenanigans. Like it's the first movie where a zombie says brains. It's the first movie to give zombies like a reason why they want to consume people. And it's also like the first movie that makes zombies like semi-intelligent. And I also think that the ending is like one of the bleakest zombie movie endings of all time. Like it's, it's this perfect thing where like the first 30 minutes are like this insane slapstick comedy and then it becomes increasingly more desperate over time and then it kind of leaves you hollow by the end i think it's like a 
perfect representation of everything I love in horror movies. The thing I wrote about it was I said, you won't see this movie come, this movie's ending coming from 134 miles away, which is, I think, exactly the number of miles before that thing goes down. But it's like, God damn, like, you're just kind of there. By the way, I'm going to say a couple of things to the people who are in this movie. There's a lot of trying going on with the acting, first of all. Like, not in a bad way. Like, you just really know that this might be your one shot. For trash, no notes. I, I don't need to give you anything, my dear. The Lord gave that to you already. Like, he, mm. he's he's already equipped you for it. And it's weird, like, you are right. They are semi-intelligent. They use the, the famous quote of, like, the zombie, like, getting on the CB radio in the ambulance and being like, send more paramedics. I think it's fucking fantastic, and I absolutely love it. But there's something about it where it kind of strikes this, like, intelligent balance between, like, comedy and smart horror movie. Yeah, I don't disagree with you on that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fascinating little film. Guess we have to if they don't want those, we got to move on. So why don't you why don't you take us to uh, the 1960s and all of a sudden it's gotten black and white and really <laughs> really need a cigarette. One of the films of the French New Wave that would kick down the door to European cinema in the United States in the 1960s is a little noir where the story was written by friends of the director Francois Truffaut and Claude Chambol. Directed by Jean-Luc Godard and is about a wandering criminal played by Jean-Paul Belmondo and his American girlfriend, Jean Seberk. It is his first feature, and it represents everything that Godard would come to say at that time, which is all you need for a good movie is a girl and a gun. And it is from 1960, Breathless. Yes, she's over there. Merci. New York Herald Est-ce que tu m'accompagnes, Harold? Oui, c'est idiot, je t'aime. Je voulais te revoir pour savoir si te revoir me ferait plaisir. Vous venez d'où, Monte Carlo? Nord de Marseille. Je suis resté samedi et dimanche à Monte Carlo. Fallait que je voie un type. Lundi, j'ai essayé de t'appeler de Marseille. Lundi et dimanche, je t'ai pas à Paris. New York Herald Tribune! Je t'en prends un. C'est gentil. Qu'est-ce que vous faites ici C'est que vous détestez Perry. J'ai pas dit que je détestais, j'ai dit que j'avais beaucoup d'ennemis. Alors vous êtes en danger Oui, je suis en danger. Tu veux pas venir à Rome avec moi, Patricia Et faire quoi là-bas On verra. Non, j'ai beaucoup de choses à faire à Perry, Michel. Et maintenant, qu'est-ce que tu fais Tu remontes ou tu descends les champs Qu'est-ce que c'est les champs Les Champs-Élysées. Ouais, il faut que j'aille à Avenue Georges V. Ok, je vous laisse. Allez, remonte avec moi. New York Herald Tribune. Je te le rends. Il n'y a pas d'horoscope. Qu'est-ce que c'est l'horoscope? L'horoscope, c'est l'avenir. J'ai envie de savoir l'avenir, pas toi? Moi aussi. New York Herald Tribune. Qu'est-ce qu'il y a? Rien. Je te regarde. Vous êtes fâché que j'ai parti sans dire au revoir. Non, mais j'étais furieux parce que j'étais triste. C'est agréable pas de s'endormir, mais de se réveiller à côté d'une fille. Vous allez rester à Paris Oui, faut que je voie un type qui me doit de l'argent. Après, il faut que je te voie toi. Non, il ne faut pas. Pourquoi 
Quoi Il y a beaucoup de filles à Paris plus jolies que moi. Non, c'est drôle. J'ai couché avec deux filles depuis qu'on s'est vues. Eh bien, ça gazait absolument pas. Gazait Qu'est-ce que c'est Elles étaient très jolies, mais ça gazait pas, ça marchait pas, c'était triste. Alors, tu veux venir à Rome Moi, j'en ai marre de la France. Mais je ne peux pas, Michel. Je dois m'inscrire à la Sorbonne. Autrement, mes parents m'envoieraient plus d'argent. Je t'en donnerai. Mais il n'y a passé que trois nuits ensemble. Non, cinq. Pourquoi tu mets jamais de soutien d'or Écoute, oh, parle pas comme ça. Bon, je m'excuse. Il est quelle heure On se revoit tout à l'heure Non, pas tout à l'heure. Ce soir. Oui Yes. Où ça Oh, ici. New York City Tribune. This is the woman who Kristen Stewart plays in that movie Seaberg or whatever it is. Yes, it is. I don't know anything about her outside of like seeing this movie. I know that she's involved in some sort of political action, but I don't know much about it. This was interesting, Tyler. <laughs> what was interesting about it? <laughs> well, okay, so you know what? Best way to describe it is this. By the way, the nut flex of the poster, just having it say a film by Jean-Luc Godard, Breathless. It's, yeah. So what I wrote about it was this. This is why I find it interesting. A crime thriller that moves at a jazz-like walk and never fully kind of lets you know what it's going to do next. It's a movie that keeps you both very balanced and unbalanced at the same time. And I think you're supposed to have that feeling because of the kind of impending doom that's setting in for your main character. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of this Anthony Mann movie I watched. I think it was called, not T-Man. Um, I'll look it up. But the movie is about this guy trying... Raw Deal. That's the movie. He was trying to, like, get out of Los Angeles, and you just kind of feel, like, the dragnet, like, slowly, like, encroaching around him as time, like, ticks nearer. And I, it really does sort of encapsulate that feeling, but I feel like Breathless is a lot more looser. It's a lot less uh, structured. It's kind of more freewheeling, in a, in a sense, than, like, the really rigid American noirs. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's a movie where, like... I really did enjoy parts of it a lot. I, I thought parts of it were absolutely on point and it, it just was nailing it. And then there are other parts. And now that you've said this, I'm like, God, this feels like a guy's first attempt at making something. So mm -hmm. that at least makes a lot more sense. I mean, good for him. He had Francois Truffaut writing his script. Like that must've been nice. Like there's a lot of pressure at least off of there. Oh, I mean, Truffaut and Godard were friends and they all worked together at uh, Chateau de Cinema where they were all uh, critics in the West Bank of Paris at the time. And so, yeah, Tr Truffaut and Godard for a, a, a long period of time, until about the 70s, were actually, like, best friends. And then they had a very unamicable breakup, essentially. Oh, really? Yeah. He, Godard, said something about Truffaut's film Day for Night. He said it was the fake film, a phony film, and Truffaut took it very seriously, and they did not talk until Truffaut's death in 1986, I believe. It's a bummer. Wow, really? Yeah. So, when does Day for Night come out? Day for Night comes out in 74? <clears throat> so they don't talk for 14 years. Yeah. Wow. About, yeah. Uh, Sorry uh, to where start was, this. Where was, start this. No, no, no. You're, no, you're fine. No, but hey, they're in a good spot right now. Yeah. Godard's young, dumb, full of cum. He's ready to get out there and kick some ass. Truffaut's probably just about to make Fahrenheit 451, if I'm guessing. He's just off 400 blows, which is like his his first 
movie. He would do, I think, three movies, and then Fahrenheit 451's, like, in the mid-60s? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 66. So before that, he would do Shoot the Piano Player, Jules and Jim, The Soft Skin, and then Fahrenheit 451. Claude uh, Chambol would also make some movies. He, before this, he was actually the first of the French New Wave critics to get a film made, and he made... Les Cousins and another movie. I can't think off the top of my head. So they started making movies around the same time. You kind of have this like influence of these critics who are all really high on like Nick Ray and Samuel Fuller films and like really influenced by like the noirs of like the 40s and 50s and like specifically like B B level noirs like Gun Crazy. This movie is not credited. What is it? He has like a, th- a card at the beginning saying that this movie is dedicated to Monogram Pictures, which is a picture company that was really, really, really cheap, only lasted like three or four years and had like very, very low budgets. And essentially he's like saying that like in the same spirit of those like American like low budget films, like this is how this film was made, like a very small budget, very small crew. And I think that's I think there's something kind of wonderful about that. So he's kind of claiming like, hey, look, this was a labor of effort. Like we didn't have a studio backing us. We made this on our own. So keep that in mind when you're watching this film. Essentially. I mean, if, at the time it was made for about 80,000 American dollars, which is not that's a pretty, lot. That's, no, no, not <laughs> at all. Well, and to be fair, you can kind of tell, which is not some sort of hindrance to it. I actually think it kind of makes the movie more interesting. I think you actually get more out of it by having it kind of have to work around. There are stretches of this movie where I was sitting there and I was like, oh, this fucker's wanted for murder. That's fucking right. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about it. He's been hanging out with Gene Seberg in his fucking apartment for the last 30 minutes. Like, it's almost like if you took Mean Streets for certain sections of action and smashed it together with who's that knocking at my door in the other sections. Like Mm -hmm. there's a really good female character development part. That's fun. That's good and interesting. And let's be honest back in the day, probably how you got the ladies to sit down and watch this with you. Whereas on the other side of it, you have the mean street stuff, which let's be honest as the guys and not us necessarily, but guys at the time were into the cool guy with the gun who was on the run from the law. He mm. kind of took the best of both worlds, and it almost feels like Scorsese split this movie up and did it in two different ways, is kind of the way oh. I look at this movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you watch Main Streets, uh, it's very clearly inspired by, like, Breathless and by like, 400 Blows and by the yeah. French New Wave stuff, like, pretty clearly. What I like about this movie is that it just doesn't... It just starts, like, it just goes. <laughs> yeah, you're, like, like, there. You're, like, I guess we're on the run. Michelle immediately, like, steals a car and, like, says goodbye to a girl. And then it's, like, off to the races, like, from Mercedes back to Paris. I love um, that he takes the car and she goes, take me with you. And he goes, no. And <laughs> just, like, takes off. It starts with him saying, I'm an asshole. <laughs> so it's, like, it's really kind of the thesis of the movie. Hmm. This guy's kind of a dick, but we love him. Why? (laughs) What else has Bellamondo done? He would work with Godard a a couple more times, but he would also become more famous for doing, like, police techna type stuff. He was already popular at the time that he did Breathless. He was already, like, kind of like an up-and-coming actor. Can you equate his career to someone today's career, like where they're at right now? (sighs) At this point, he would probably be... Someone who's a who just hit, like, just had a role where they just broke out. So I would guess it would be, like, 
for some reason I can only think of like it'd be like when Brad Pitt was in I'm trying to think of the movie that like kind of broke Brad Pitt out True Romance could be in that argument yeah True Romance kind of but it was more of like a leading role where it was like oh that guy's oh so like Thelma and Louise kind of yeah but that movie okay so he's (laughs) well but yeah but he's also a very like key supporting character yeah 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 are you asking Um, are you saying where he's where he's starring in something is that what you're asking yeah because this is like that's he that's like legends of the fall i think okay what we thought was going to happen when channing tatum was in like fighting i think was the name of the movie where it's like there was a movie with channing tatum called fighting is that not the name of the movie i mean you you might be right but like i i don't know if i've ever heard of that that's amazing it was a movie where he's a he's like a boxer he's a fighter it's like the first like channing tatum starring movie and it on a much bigger level because breathless was like a massive success but like that movie led to him kind of moving out of stuff like she's the man step up and into like more fuck there is a movie called fighting is this good it's from what i remember people were like yeah it's pretty good what i'm trying to say is belmondo would become famous for working with godard and also became famous as like an action star halfway through his career i get what you're saying okay so that's where he's at with this guy but he would go on to work with him again however is this maybe their best work maybe is my question um it depends on what you feel about godard uh, there's a lot of people who especially people who like really love Truffaut, are like godard peaked at breathless like he never got any better i kind of disagree with that because i think a woman is a woman is probably a better funner godard film and there's also i think what's the last one piro le fou which is another godard film that he's in that's also considered like one of godard's best so i don't know it kind of depends on your taste do you like like up and coming young godard doing a lot of like american shit or do you like godard like trying to break all of the conventional rules of filmmaking well i might have to have you like break me off a couple godard movies to watch give me a list okay i can do that yeah i'd like to better round that out i'm Um, glad that you didn't hate this no no this this was not bad by any stretch what i've started realizing with foreign movies and it's how i've been able to start watching foreign movies more is i don't need to watch a foreign movie with the dialogue which you do need to watch to understand it but you need to watch it from the concept of an idea. Like you need to be like, what's the centralized idea of this movie? Once you have that following the dialogue is so much easier because you can remember like, Oh, they're looking for this. So for example, this movie is about him getting caught. Anytime someone comes up and shows a picture of him, you're like, okay, time to start paying attention to figure out where we are in this. Pay attention to all the other stuff going on, of course, too, with the girl. I mean, cause that's a lot of like emotional and face work as well. So like, that would mm-hmm. be the way I would look at it. Like the plot is really simple to follow. You just have to like, keep up with what they're saying on occasion. I mean, this movie is very much straightforward. Um, it's probably the most straightforward <laughs> guitar film. Put and... that on a poster. Godard's most straightforward film. And then low it dot dot dot. No, I'm serious, Tyler. Because, <laughs> like, you get into stuff with, like, even his next couple films. Like, a, a man, like, a woman is a woman. Like, it starts to break into these really weird, like, ideas. And you kind of have, like, these, like, tangenty parts. Which are very fun. But this movie is pretty much, like just like a day or so in the life of this guy. I don't know. I think it kind of it's like a good movie to kind of get into the type of film that he would go on to make. 
Breathless was probably the first film I watched when I was like 16. And I was like, fuck, there's movies outside of America. Like, you can do this? Like, <laughs> like you can make a movie like this? I may not have got it at the time, but I was enamored with the possibilities of, you know, what cinema could be outside the purview of like American films because of this movie. And I don't know. I think it's important. I think it's a good entryway into foreign cinema. Trying to think, what what do we talk about here? Like, what are what are the big scenes? The movie is a very simple plot. Michel, who's played by Jean Paul Belmondo, he steals a car in Marseille and is racing to get back to Paris. He wants to see Jean Seberg because they spent like a couple nights together, and he's smitten. But we're not entirely sure how smitten. We you can never really tell with him how much he actually likes someone. On his way back to Paris, is he? crosses the double lines he starts speeding cop pulls him over and he shoots the cop and heads to paris and essentially what happens from there is he is a race against the time against the police who are running and like following his associates and like talking to everybody it's just like essentially him trying to outwit and outsmart the police while also trying to convince this girl to go to italy with him and yeah, you have Jean Seberg as an American in Paris who can speak fluent French and doesn't really look like a typical American girl. Has this very short hair and is kind of like thin and frail looking. It's a fucking very interesting movie. It Seberg's haircut is like famous. It's kind of it's like a famous haircut. <laughs> Which I, I I I don't I don't know if that is a real thing, but like if you look up pictures of Jane Seberg, like you see her in that haircut. It's like one of the first things. The movie was a smash success in France. It's a big movie in America, and it kind of catapulted France as like, oh, there's like an exciting film scene coming out of France right now. Is there a favorite scene that you want to talk about or like a shot or No, I'm no, I'm just in love with Jean Seberg. Like she is maybe in terms of like physically speaking what I look at in a in a human being, like the most perfect looking woman I've ever seen. Like mm-hmm. and he does something with her so uniquely where he uses that but he also doesn't make her stupid. Like she's weirdly the smartest character in the movie. Yeah. And she's never treated for dumb. Like, I really respect that about Godard. He uses that. And, like, that's Truffaut as well. But, like, neither of them, like, turn her into be like, yeah, she's just going to be this thing that's going to flint around. Yeah, you constantly see her, like, thinking about stuff. Like, she's constantly, like, filtering things and, like, trying to figure out what's going on and trying to, like, piece shit together. And I think that's really interesting that the movie also kind of gives her her own life in a certain respect. It could have been very simple to just be like, this is a femme fatale character, and like that's it, end of character. But I don't know. There's more to it than that. Like like Michelle, too. I think there's more to Michelle than just like the typical, like, yeah, he's a bad guy with a gun. Like You kind of can understand why someone would be schmitten with this person who's clearly a fucking asshole, <laughs> like, who clearly sucks. And you probably shouldn't like, but I don't know. The movie does enough to kind of paint him as charming. You know why they paint him as charming? Why? Because Godard shows respect. 
There is a moment in that movie where that guy walks up and he stops and he looks at a poster for a movie and he sees Bogart and he takes off his sunglasses out of respect and he goes, bogey. And he takes a big puff of his cigarette. That's why. Because you respect that guy because that dude shows respect when respect needs to be given. You don't respect the law. That's that's totally fine. Like, I get that. The law can fuck you over sometimes. The law is sometimes racist. The law is a, ba- a bunch of bad things. But Bogey, he shows respect. That's why you're on Michelle's side. Also, he's a badass. Like, you want Michelle to get away with it because you want to keep hanging out with that character. Yeah, you kind of you kind of do just want to like hang out with him, even though he's you're like I don't know if I like this guy. Yeah, like, I don't know if I like him, but he's fun yeah. to watch. Yeah, P.S. You weirdly paired these nicely together. Yeah, no, I did a good job. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if I have a favorite scene. I mean, the ending's very exciting. I think I think the scene where he's talking to the guy who gives him his money in the hotel is like fucking dynamite. Between those mm-hmm. two, that is so funny. There's a ton of references. One of them is when he shows up to get his money from the guy and they ask about, uh, I think it's Bob something, Bob something. I forget the exact name, but that's a reference to Jean-Pierre Melville's film. Jean-Pierre Melville himself is in this movie. Get out of here. Yeah, he plays the writer that they're interviewing. Oh, I was going to ask you what that was about. Yeah. Godard and Melville are good buddies, and it was like Godard was like kind of like an understudy of Melville. Big fan of Melville, and that reference is a reference to a Melville film called Bob the Flambeur, Bob the Gambler. And mm-hmm. at the end of that movie, Bob turns himself in and gets arrested. So that's why they're like Bob's in jail, the idiot, which I think is very fun. So there's just an elaborate like joke about that other movie in there. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like it's a it's a straight just like reference to another movie. <laughs> what a little film nerd John Lucard is. He is, and it's one of the reasons why I I love him. He also at one point references the name Lazo Kovacs, which is not the cinematographer that I love, but instead the name of a character to a Chablot film that Paul Belmondo started the previous year, called Web of Passion. Well, there you go. Do you want to talk about the ending at all? I feel like we haven't talked. We didn't talk about the ending. Yeah, I guess we should talk about the ending. Yeah. Yeah. So Seberg turns in Michelle. Essentially, like, she sells goes him out to get him coffee and like calls the cops and is like, "Hey, the guy's living here." The cops show up. He has his friend show up with the money. I think is kind of yeah. The guy shows up with the money. Is like, "Come on, let's get out of here." And he's like, "Not without her." And so he's like, you're fucking stupid, and like throws the gun like on the street. Michelle picks up the gun, gets shot by the cops, and then it kind of ends with like him running down the street, getting bloody handprints fucking everywhere. And then it ends with him like on the ground. Essentially, he says, it's really disgusting. And Patricia asks, what did he say? And then the cop says, you make him want to puke. And yeah. she goes, what does, what does that mean, puke? There's been like three different translations of that scene because disgusting in French can mean a myriad of different things. But uh, I do like the puke line that's on the Criterion Restoration. It's kind of a bummer. It, it's a, it's just like kind of like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, everyone dies, I guess. Yeah, and nobody really gets away happy either. No. Yeah. It's just like it's, your goddamn Return of the Living Dead. It gets so bleak at the end. It's, it gets so bleak in the end. 
I don't know. Michelle's an interesting character. Rewatching it, I was like, I don't think I can ever hate this movie because it was like the first movie that like turned me on to what movies could be. I can see like the faults that some people might have in it, but I will always be like, no, it's great. I don't know what you're talking about. It actually does have like great moments. I don't know. I also just like that ending. What would you pair it with? Well, I have to believe that one good turn deserves another. And if you're going to pair something with 1960s Breathless, that's that's the dramatic opening. But as we all know, to do like a truly great double feature, you have to send people home happy. So I would pair it with something else that I saw this week that would have been my best of the week if we were still doing those. And that is, of course, the 1973 film Paper Moon. Ooh. I watched this for the first time. My wife was like, have you ever seen Paper Moon? And I was like, no, I really want to watch What's Up, Doc. And she's like, I've never seen that. And I showed her a trailer and she goes, she goes, I love Barbara Streisand, but this looks bad. And I'm like, I've heard it's really good. She goes, this just doesn't look like it's for me. And I'm like, oh, I really wanted to watch a Peter Bogdanovich movie. And she goes, have you ever seen Paper Moon? And I'm like, what's Paper Moon? And she described it to me. And I was like, okay, let me hit play, hit play about four and a half minutes in, directed by Peter Bogdanovich. And I was like, oh my God, I got to see a Peter Bogdanovich movie after all. Oh, thank you. Peter Bogdanovich's Paper Moon would pair perfectly with this. The two of them are both infinitely both sweet in very kind of like harsh ways because Michelle and the dad in Paper Moon are both kind of like, just like apathetic to whether they like the people or not. And the other people who like Gene Seberg and the kid, you're like, I want to root for these two. So yeah, that would be my pairing. That's a good pairing. I like that pairing a lot, actually. Yeah, and they're both black and white. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, and they're both both throwbacks to older movies. That's also another good point as well. I was sitting there during Paper Moon. I'm like, I'm like, fucking. The, I looked it up. I'm like, 1973. God, this looks terrible. I'm like, oh, he's doing it on purpose. Oh, it's intentional. Oh, I get what you're doing, Peter Bogdanovich. You crazy son of a bitch. <laughs> So what what are you giving this? No, I give it five stars. Come on, what are we doing? <laughs> the green is just start calling you the five star kid. We'll see. I would give this four and a quarter. That's good. Yeah, that's good enough. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You'll take it. I'll give it to you. Whatever I want. <laughs> How about this? Two and a half. There you go. Now it's that. What do you think? I'll take that. Whatever. <laughs> no, you won't. I think we get to watch more Jean Luc Godard. Yeah, no, I would actually watch another Jean Luc Godard film if you wanna if you wanna suggest one and you yeah, know, I'll, I'll, figure I'll, it I'll, out. I'll, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll I'll let you know some. I guess that takes us on to our next one. My pairing, the movie I paired Breathless with from 1994, written by Quentin Tarantino, directed by Oliver Stone, Natural Born Killers. the game. Stay tuned for a special American Maniacs on WATCH. Mickey Knox is the most dangerous man in America, but Wayne Gale isn't afraid to meet him one-on-one. To learn what 48 people died for, is this man insane, or does he belong where he sent so many others? In the grave. Mickey Knox, thank you for this time. I've got a few questions I'd like to start off with, if you don't mind. <clears throat> well, let's roll the f***ing ass, Wayne. <laughs> Mickey Knox, when did you first start thinking about killing? Birth. I was thrown into a flaming pit of scum, forgotten by God. <laughs> what do you mean by that? I mean, I mean, I came from violence. 
Just in my blood, my dad had it, his dad had it. It's all just my fate. You believe in fate, boy? My fate. No one is born evil, Ricky. It's something you learn. What about your father? How did he die? You were only 10 years old, and there's a lot of speculation. I didn't kill my father, and I don't want to... Hey, 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 hey! Hey, watch it, watch it, watch it. It's all right. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's all right, man. Go on to something else, okay? Please, let's do So tell me, Mickey, how can you look at an ordinary person, an innocent guy with kids, and then shoot him to death? I mean, how can you bring yourself to do that? Innocent. Who's innocent, Wayne? You innocent? I'm innocent. Yes, I am. Of murder, definitely. It's just murder, man. All God's creatures do it in some form or another. I mean, huh. you look in the forest. You got species killing other species. Our species killing all species, including the forest. And we just call it industry, not murder. But I know a lot of people who uh, <clears throat> deserve to die. <laughs> Why? Why do they deserve to die? I think everybody got something in their past, some sin, some awful secret thing. A lot of people walking around out there already dead, just need to be put out of their misery. <laughs> That's where I come in, fate's messenger. Except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Oh, the theory that everyone meets a serial killer halfway thing. Is that what you're saying? Well, the wolf don't know why he's a wolf. The deer don't know why he's a deer. God just made it that way. You're saying that the world itself is predatory. That when a mountain lion takes down an elk, it's because it's the elk's time to go. And all the BS liberal agenda about saving the animal herds only serves to overpopulate the balance of nature. Maybe you're right, maybe. I don't think so, but maybe you're right. Corporate predators, environmental predators, nuclear predators. Life is a hunt. I've seen it. I was there when the hit the fan at Grenada. I saw it all go down at Grenada. So tell me, Mickey, any regrets? I mean, three weeks, 50 people killed. Not too cool, Mickey. 52, but I don't spend a lot of time with regret. That's a wasted emotion. Seriously, you must have some regret. Come on, wreck your brain. Well, I wish that Indian hadn't got killed. Bad, 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 bad! One of your last victims. Man had a rattlesnake sitting in a corner. A rattlesnake? Could pick it up, pet it. He saw it. He saw what? The demon. He saw the demon. The demon? What demon? Everybody got the demon in here, okay? The demon lives in here. It feeds on your hate, cuts, kills, rapes. It, it uses your weakness, your fear. Only the vicious survive in here. We all told we're no good piece of shit from the time we could breathe. After a while, you kind of become bad. But, you know, after the Indian, we were going to quit killing. The old man took it out of us. Well, it was all just a mistake, you know. Uh, man was trying to help us, you know, pet us. Same dream I've had since I was a kid, I guess. I just uh, running, running with the animals in the darkness. Mr. Rabbit, bloody fangs, Christmas hat. Oh. Oh. 
things going on. I don't know. We're just running. I'm just a Mr. Rabbit. Meeting every other animal in the forest. Death, just death kind of becomes what you are. After a while, you begin to like it. No about realization, Wayne. I mean, you know, all this just illusion. <laughs> Mr. Rabbit says, moment of realization. Moment of realization is worth a thousand prayers. Oh, <laughs> crash. Wayne, I don't think I'm any crazier than you are. I'm extreme, dark, and light. You know that. I'm light with mouth. Mouth. That's your shadow on the wall. No. You can't get rid of your shadow, can you, Wayne? No, you know, the only thing that kills a demon, love. That's why I know that Mallory's my salvation. She was teaching me how to love. I forgive you, baby. Yeah. It's just like being in the Garden of Eden. Only love can kill a demon. Hold that, Thorn. You probably have some thoughts on this movie. Many, many thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, where where you want to start? Where you want to start with maybe the greatest collaboration of two people who probably didn't get along ever? I feel like Quentin Tarantino must fucking hate Oliver Stone. But I gotta tell you, man, there are moments of this movie where I'm like, oh, that is a Tarantino scene right there. Yeah, you can kind of sense moments of Tarantino-ness with some of the dialogue where you're like, okay, that feels oh. very Tarantino. <laughs> see Tom Sizemore in the motel hooker scene. That is straight Tarantino. And you could, if you bought the paperback book that he published, that is just the script, you could cross-reference what made it in and what didn't, because from what he says, a lot of it was rewritten uh, by Oliver Stone. Which makes sense, because this is Oliver Stone coming off of, like, JFK? This might be the greatest departure for a filmmaker. This might be the greatest departure for a a star that I think I've like maybe ever seen. Once again, you want to talk about a, a really like interesting film by a well-known filmmaker, which is what you did with Breathless with Oliver Stone. And you want to talk about two people in just like, I'll say this, maybe the two most criminally underrated performances of 1994 in Mallory and Mickey Knox and like Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis. I've got a new Juliette Lewis clip to drop and she gives me one every time. Like yeah. she does not stop. Like if you don't think at some point in this podcast, you're going to have to be, be like, Ben, you're going to have to put in the bad, 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 bad. We're not doing this podcast right. She is on fire in this movie. By the way, we're going to talk about the 1994 Oscars with this movie. There's a real case Woody Harrelson should have been up for Best Actor this year. I like, don't doubt it. It was, it was never going to happen, but like, I really think if you look at that, like, you could be like, oh, there's at least three names you could kick off. Yeah. I find the movie interesting because he isn't coming off JFK. He's coming off of a hell of a run. Starting with Platoon, oh. Wall Street, Talk Radio, Born on the Fourth of July, The Doors, JFK, and then he has Heaven and Earth, which is a movie I've never heard of. 
And I then, know what it's about. I've never seen it. It's actually the middle chapter with him and Tommy Lee Jones. It's about a Vietnam vet who goes back, I believe. So it's Rambo second blood. No, no, but he's old. Like Tommy Lee Jones is the oh, old vet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, actually, Natural Born Killers good. comes out after Heaven and Earth in 1994. It feels like an Oliver Stone movie at the height of his powers. If James Cameron told people to get the fuck off his set in Titanic, Oliver Stone told them over the phone to get the fuck off his set before they even came to the set. That's how much power it felt like he was yielding. There are moments in this movie where I'm like, I wonder how he got away with this. Like, it's an incredibly dark movie. Oh, yeah. And I'll say this. This boasts, and most people don't know the difference between these two, but Tyler does. This boasts one of my top five ever teaser trailers for a movie. What it is, is it's a trailer for this movie. It is a Nutflex by Oliver Stone. Platoon. Wall Street. Born on the 4th of July. JFK. Oliver Stone's vision has changed the way we saw our past. Now, he takes a look at where we are and where we're going. And you'll be shocked at what he sees. Natural born killers in the media circus of life. They were the main attraction. And you're just like, holy fuck, what was that? Like, it's the most mind bending trailer you've ever seen. Because he's essentially saying, I made all of these movies. I made all of them. I made fucking JFK. And now you're going to see me if I want to be dark. I'll say this. Where was Robert Downey Jr.'s Oscar? They got lost in the mail due to his fucking terrible accent. I don't know. I kind of love that he just leans into it. I kind of love that he goes nuts by the end. Like, I think that makes, I think that's, I think that's oh, a yeah. solid point. I want to like this movie because I mm-hmm. think the filmmaking aspect, like the Robert Richardson's, his cinematography is, is all over the fucking shop in this. But I think the way it's shot, the using like super eight, using 16 millimeter, like splicing those in using like projected backgrounds, using like really over the top lighting, I think they're all very interesting and they're interesting ways to get into the headspace of these two fucking criminals and these two people who are murderers, right? I also love the beginning, like the op- like the opening where they kind of make the 
the like flashback look like a sitcom. I think that's like really cool and really interesting. Is this Rodney Dangerfield's greatest performance? This is in the conversation for like Caddyshack, this back to school. Like he's amazing in this like seven minutes of film. Yeah, it's probably his best performance in like a big budget movie. I don't know. I'm partial to Caddyshack. I really do love Caddyshack. Although I have not seen it in about a decade. So I'm not sure if that holds up. (laughs) I mean, he's dynamite in Caddyshack. He's just giving lip to everybody in Caddyshack. Like, that's all he's doing. And he's kind of doing like, he's so demented in this movie. Like, it's like they said, okay, you're going to be Rodney Dangerfield. But if he was just really, really horrible. I think he's like perfectly cast in this because it's like well what if Rodney Dangerfield was like an abusive stepfather or like just an abusive father I guess and what if we had it in like a sitcom so you have all these people who are comedic actors and we know from comedies but like what if they were in like a you know the cracked split image of a fucking Eugene O'Neill play like what if they're in like the worst Hmm. sexually abusive fucking play imaginable like it hurts to watch it it's hard to watch like it's good filmmaking yeah because like if you were to shoot this in the real world like rodney dangerfield would be molesting his daughter like there wouldn't be anything funny about it but like the way he shoots it is like we can show you this because this is how they show you shit in like the media and stuff he's he's making a con the whole thing is a commentary on the media and how we are presented stuff Mm mm-hmm Rodney Dangerfield is the father. He has a son named Kevin. He has a wife named Annoyance. I don't know her name. And they have a daughter, Juliette Lewis. And the dad is kind of like being handsy with the daughter. It's not great. And then enter the picture, Mickey. So the mom doesn't have a name, but it was played by Edie McClurg, uh, who's a stand-up comedian and opera singer. Wow, nice touch there, making the mom that insignificant because that's what it's supposed to be for in that role. Yeah, so... He shows up and, like, he kind of takes her. They kind of become just Bonnie and Clyde right away. She wants to go for a ride and Mickey is willing to drive. A shittier, dumber version of Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, for sure. Oh, for (laughs) sure. There's no class to these two. These two are Um, like... By the way, defy me. She still holds white trash hot belt. Oh, yeah. I think this movie is where she got the belt and, like, did not lose it. (laughs) She just, Um, she just, she just, like, she just looked and she goes, Hogan. Hogan. Oh, no, I guess California would be where she got it, which is a year earlier. Okay. Um, that movie's fucking terrible. But She's great he, in it, though. She's good in it. That movie's not good. That movie's no, all no, no, it's bad. not a good movie. No, no. There's, there's like, two good performances in her and Brad Pitt, but the rest are just like, oh, okay, I guess. I like David Duchovny, but that might be one of the worst film performances I have literally ever seen from, like, a major actor. Quote unquote major actor. Yeah. He steals his car. He gets sent away. And it becomes this thing where, like, she's like worried that she's never going to see him again. And he breaks out of prison because of a tornado? Question mark? Yeah, that's, yeah, well, that's, yeah. Excuse me? That's why I said, oh? I'm looking at the cast list, and Dennis Leary played. Oh, Bret Hart was a prison inmate. I was like, Dennis Leary played played Bret Hart in prison? What the fuck? (laughs) Excuse me? But no, they apparently played prison inmates. Sorry to bring this to a screeching halt. No, you're good. He gets out of prison and he comes and gets her. 
he fucking kills Rodney Dangerfield. Well, they both do. This is yeah. the first real like this is the first real hit him with the hammer moment from the honeymoon killers. Yeah. Not to step on a potential what I might pair this with. <laughs> it's a rough movie. It's a rough watch, the murder of Rodney Dangerfield, because Rodney Dangerfield has big old bug eyes. If you want to talk about the moment I would play at the Oscars, it would be her going, You will be clean. Like I said, I really want to love this movie. It comes so close to being very good. I just like, like this opening is so good that I'm like, oh, maybe this movie is great. Maybe, maybe people are wrong about this, <laughs> but we'll get there. We'll get there. So they're on the road at this point and they just start killing people. Like that's kind of what the plot of the movie is for a certain amount of it. Yeah, it's like a road movie for a period of time. There's moments that I think are interesting where they try to paint the relationship as kind of not going so well, but I think by doing that, they kind of like pigeonhole it into like misogynistic critiques. I think like her being like, you don't find me sexy anymore. And then like going off and trying to sleep with someone. I'm like, that's, I don't like that. That's, I hate it actually. I really don't like that. I think the movie is attempting to be very, I don't want to say edgy because I think edgy has like a negative connotation. It's trying to like be transgressive and like boundary pushing, but in doing so, I think occasionally like kind of steps on its own toes and kind of undermines its own message and ideology. I like the portrayal of the like of the of Robert Downey Jr., which which starts to happen at this time. He starts to follow them, and is like it cuts to him like making this documentary about them, this like TV show because he has this TV show called American Maniacs, and it's about it like profiles like Charles Whitman and Charles Manson and other people named Charles who've committed mass murders and you kind of see him, his name is Wayne Gale and you kind of see him putting together like a Mickey and Mallory episode. It's almost like this guy was doing what happened with this guy. It feels like for me, if you want like my kind of like in my head backstory, it almost feels like he was making this show and was kind of floundering. And then like, he was like, yeah, every week we put out one about these killers from the past and then all of a sudden, a bunch of killings started happening, and his show caught fire, is what I kind of feel like it is. Like, mm-hmm. he almost went from, like, doing stories about stuff that have ha- that has happened to being involved with something that has happened. Almost like when Geraldo opened up Al Capone's vault. And I think at the time, it was definitely on the pulse of, like, where mass media was. It feels a little dated now, but what I do love is the intercutting of, like, I just so everyone knows, I have a brand new like 55 4K TV that we just put up because the other TV that Holy we had kind of died on us. So we were, I was watching this and seeing those like old shitty 90s <laughs> like VV uh, like di- not digital but like video like TV video uh, shots where it would kind of cut between them was great because I'm like this looks was so much worse than I ever could have imagined. And I remember this looking like the best thing that TV could look at the time. But yeah, watching this movie on a giant TV made the cinematography look gorgeous. We both watched it on the newest TVs we have. We bought one recently, like almost half a year ago. Mm. And we have about the, I think ours is about like a 48 inch. But my God, just, yeah, Yeah, you're just like, wow, that is pretty looking. Yeah, no, I was watching this and like, the fucking the horrible thing about it is like man this movie this movie real good looking this movie looks good yeah 
Oh yeah, it's great. So they keep going down the road. They, I will say the only, I think, real discernible thing you need to know is they run across a Native American man and his, I would assume, grandson, and they accidentally kill him. I would say that's about the only thing you need to know from their time on the road. Like, he's told you everything else you need to know. It's kind of this, like, weird after-the-honeymoon phase. Right, and I think what it was supposed to be, like, a a neat... Like, oh, Native Americans were also, like, outsiders and stuff like that. I don't know. It feels kind of fucking racist. <laughs> it is a little bit. I think that's very much the Oliver Stone. So here's my question to you. What do you think is the most Tarantino, and what do you think is the most Stone in that? The naming convention Mickey and Mallory sounds like a Quinn Tarantino thing. I think a lot of the, like, 50s Americana stuff that feels very Tarantino-y. Like, mm-hmm. I think that opening scene where they're, like, in a diner, I'm like, fuck, that's just Pulp Fiction. Like, that's just, like... You're, God, you're right, yeah. The opening is watching these two, like, you just realize what they are. Actually, like, it's kind of great because you only get, like, I only think you get Woody Harrelson, Juliette Lewis, and a, and a film by Oliver Stone, and then you get, like, just a fucking, like, fight between, like, these two and a bunch of people in a diner. And then, like, the next thing you see is, like, blood running down, like, what appears to be, like, a windshield, and it just says, natural-born killers. And you're just like, oh, fuck, we're, we're in it. It is kind of like Breathless. You're just kind of in it. It just goes for it, you know what I mean? And I think it's interesting. There's definitely a shot in that scene where, the, like, it goes first person into, like, Mickey, and you see the gun, and I'm like, okay, Oliver Stone clearly watched someone play fucking, like, Wolfenstein 3D, and was like, oh, these games are, you know, like, that very clearly feels like someone, an old person watching, like, a first-person shooter and being like, oh, the people are gonna be reenacting this. I think the problem with this movie, and we'll get into it a little bit more, is that it's by it tr- trying to be transgressive, it is not overtly stating that Mickey and Mallory are bad people. And with that, it can kind of get into this tricky area where a lot of people have watched this movie who do become mass murderers and it becomes their favorite film who don't understand that the movie is saying that mass murder is not good. <laughs> I mean, you look at the Columbine shooters, like, they love this movie, and that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah, you're, you're not supposed to like Mickey and Mallory. Now, I'm going to say this, you kind of are on their side a lot of the movie, but, like, I mean, it's because it's kind of supposed to be painted that way. But, yeah. yeah, you're not you're not supposed to want to emulate Mickey and Mallory. You, at the end of the day, want them to get away in the same way I want Bonnie and Clyde to get away because I don't want the ride to stop. I don't want them to get away for the fact that I think they're right about everything. Now, granted, there are people in this movie who are worse, in my opinion, than Mickey and Mallory. They've already dusted Rodney Dangerfield. I think we have to talk about him. The one, the only, Tom Sizemore as Jack Scagnetti. Oh, man. Sizemore, is he the sleaziest sleazeball to ever be in cinema? I will say this. I never thought that there was going to be someone who could potentially challenge Cypher for the number one spot on the shit heel Mount Rushmore whenever we decide to do that, and it'll only be based on the movies that we've talked about. I think it's going to be the greatest Mount Rushmore ever, the top four shit heels. But I think Jack Scagnetti has a real fucking case to be made. Yeah. This movie, Jack Scagnetti and Tom Sizemore uh, as a whole, do both be looking like just just sweaty pigs just a just a big old sweat slop of pig uh, and i know this is tarantino because he also references a character called seymour scagnetti in reservoir dogs 
I did not catch that. Yeah, this is the one of the few connections to the Tarantino universe. Seymour Scagnetti is Mr. Blonde's parole officer that you hear about. That's interesting. That's good to know. Jack Scagnetti is a cop, and he's kind of like the super cop of the moment. He's like, if Dirty Harry were like actually real, I guess. Yeah, he does sort of strike me. Well, Dirty Harry was based on a real guy, but he does sort of strike me as like a like a bullet type. Again, yeah. that's the same guy that that Harry, Dirty Harry was based off. The guy from Zodiac is what we're talking about. A guy who just did solid police work. If you watch the real version with Mark Ruffalo, yeah, but Gagnetti is he's a, a he's bad. He's a monster. <laughs> he's not good. To quote Doctor Chilton, "Oh, he's a monster, pure psychopath." It's really rare to capture one alive. Like, Skagnetti is, Skagnetti is horrible. There is a scene with a prostitute that we're not going to go into. You can all watch it on your own time. Don't. You know who Skagnetti reminds me of, like, specifically? Who's that? He, if, if the guy from Manhunter and Hannibal, like, if he was just a raving lunatic like Hannibal was. Yeah. You know the like the idea of like I gotta get into a psychopath's mind and it like kind of burns him out, but like I think that, but like, <laughs> like, like it did burn him out and he did become a psychopath. Oh my god, it is. Interesting but he was already a psychopath. Like, beginning. like when you, yeah, exactly, because of what happens to his mom. Like, yeah. So eventually, what happens is like these two get bit by snakes, Mickey and Mallory, and they go to drug zone. Which I get. God, there are sometimes you're just like, I get it, Oliver. We we get it. We get it. Huh. Oh, no, not drug zone. Okay, okay, Oliver, we get it. You go some places to buy drugs. Thank you, buddy. We, we got gotcha. you. <laughs> My favorite thing is seeing, like, the like snake bite anti-venom. It had, like, a fucking whole like, thing. And I'm like, you can't go to a store and get anti-venom for snake bites. I, you have to go to the I hospital. Love, I love that they do that, though. I love that it just says sold out, too. Like, it's so great. No, no, I was going to say, the, the movie, movie has these moments of, like, big cartoonish ideas but it never like it never it never really sticks to them just when it wants to have these cartoonish ideas it's like a movie of two parts it's almost like it's almost the kind of the way full metal jacket plays where you're like okay this is a movie about going through basic training and once they're out the movie will be over and then you're like oh fuck that was only like 40 minutes and it's like oh there's a whole nother section where they're in vietnam whereas this is like okay they're going to be on the road for like the first 40 minutes and then it's like, oh, okay, there's like another hour and ten minutes where, like, their asses are, like, in jail now. And there's definitely characters that feel like cartoon characters. Like, in a certain sense, Wayne Gill kind of feels like a cartoon character. Like, Jack Stagnetti feels like a cartoon character. But what the problem is, is Mickey and Mallory are, like, the only ones that feel sort of realistic in this, like, cartoon world. And and yet have cartoon character representations of themselves. Yeah. It... I don't know. We'll get we'll 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 talk about it. Who's your favorite person to show up in this movie that you didn't expect to see? Tommy Lee Jones is the warden. Oh, did you not know he was in this? I forgot that he was in it, and he shows up, and I'm like, oh fuck, he's playing Foghorn Leghorn the entire time, and it's it's the best. It is fucking the best. Oh, see, for me, it is totally Stephen Wright. Is that it? The comedian. Yeah, Stephen Wright. The com- Thank you, Stephen Wright. Yeah, Stephen Wright, when he shows up, I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, I'm good with this. But yes, they eventually get caught. And by the way, the scene where they get caught, I gotta tell you, is one of my favorite moments of, like, directing in the in it. Mm-hmm. 
Like when he when they when he walks out and they start to cuff him and then fucking Woody Harrelson just pulls that knife and fucking stabs that guy and you're like, oh, it's back on. I thought it was over, but it wasn't. Take me there again, natural born killers. Like I it just was... knows how to ride the waves at moments. And there are other moments where it's like we're just hitting rocks every time we try to go out in the water. I, I will say that scene did rub me the wrong way at, at the end where they show like the like news crew filming him getting beat up. And I'm like, you're really going to take you're really going to take the images of the Rodney King beating and like put it towards a white guy that is a mass murderer. Are, are we doing that, Oliver Stone? Are we doing that? Are, are, is this what's happening, Oliver yeah. Stone? I don't like that. That is it's bad. <laughs> that really made me mad. Especially since, like, what is currently happening in the world while we record this. Oh, God, don't bring it up. I almost brought it up earlier when I was talking about some movie I was watching. Don't worry, guys. We're going to get to a prison riot, and it's we're going to be very chill about that conversation. So they're in prison, and it, like, cuts to, like, a year later, and they've gone through the trial, and it sounds like the trial found them mentally incompetent, and they're going to go to the funny farm for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. First question in this whole prison sequence, because like we said, part one is the road, part two is the prison. Why are they both in the same prison? I don't is she know. is she is she that bad? Like, because that's it's, a great layer to a character if that is the reason, which I want to kind of believe it is. It like, seems like she they're... fucks up a bunch of people in this movie. It seems like they're both in solitary confinement, but like it doesn't make sense. Like, why would she be in a men's prison? That's like a horrible. That's a that's a big danger. Like, why would you keep them in the same prison? Yeah, unless there's like weird. a female wing to this prison, and like, why would you have that? Like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. You gotta wonder like, if she's like the first, truly like they had to do it or something. Like, even then, like, put her in a fucking supermax. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Like, why is she in a fucking just state pen? I think it's because it's Texas. It's not. It's Indianapolis. It's Indiana. Oh, it's Indianapolis. Huh. Not Indianapolis. Indiana. I don't know why it is then. This is where we meet, as you said, Foghorn Leghorn. Which also, why is it in Indiana? They're in fucking, they're, they're like, their whole thing was like in the Southwest. What the fuck? What the fuck, man? I'm I'm so confused. I have two beliefs. A... That it is exactly what Mickey says to Mallory the first time he says her. It's fate. Or Mickey is the most brilliant tactician we've never seen coming, which I don't think it is. So I think you just got to give it up to fate. Mickey, the man who accidentally killed a Native American man and then stepped into a hive of of rattlesnakes, is playing 4D chess. (laughs) Hey, man, sometimes you're the snake in the pit and sometimes you're the pit in the snake. Am I right? Mm Mm-hmm. It is right before they're about to be taken off, and it seems like uh, the prison isn't throwing straight dice. No. The warden seems to be, like, his whole philosophy is we should be able to beat prisoners whenever we want. (laughs) He does grab one with a pair of pliers. (laughs) Yeah. Tom Lee Jones plays the warden, and his, like, introduction is so good. If you want to talk about maybe one of the most underrated collaborations, him and Oliver Stone work really well together. Mm-hmm. Like this JFK, he's amazing in JFK. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen the other one that they did, which is Heaven and Earth. Yeah. I'm sure he's good in it, but Tom Lee Jones for a period of time, straight heat. I know I say straight heat a lot, but like straight heat. 
it's at this point, like, they're kind of going to be transferred out. And, like, the warden says, hey, these guys have killed a couple of our men. We wouldn't hate it if they had to die along the way. And they mm-hmm. kind of tell this to Jack Scagnetti, who's kind of become the hero cop of the moment. It's at the same time, Mickey's being talked to by Wayne Gale. Wayne Gale says, we're going to do a year after the trial. You guys are being sent away. Like, you are going to the funny farm. Like, get your side of the story out there. And fucking Woody Harrelson gets, like, taken away at one point. And he's like, hey, let him answer. Let him answer. And he goes, he goes, let's do it, man. And you're just like, I think it's at that moment he knows what he's about to try. Mm-hmm. I think it might just be fate. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I could see that. I think the interview is really fun, and it's like clearly like I think the, oh, I think the interview is the best scene in the movie. Yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely up there, and I think what it's what happens after the interview that I think kind of rubs me the wrong way. But I like the idea that it airs right after the Super Bowl because I don't know that just feels like important even in the like '94, and I think that's good. I think it's just a good scene. Here's my question to you. Do you think this is the coolest way anyone has ever said the title of a movie? It's up there. When he says... And what's that, Mickey? Shit, man. I'm a natural-born killer. You're just like, fuck. Also, I'll say this. The way they do them changing, because I think you're supposed to believe this movie takes place over the course of a long period of time without it really doing that. The way they change their clothes and everything is one of the coolest things. And when he finally gets to like what I like to call like Mickey Prime, where like he's got the shaved head, he's got those fucking glasses and he's got like just the the sawed off shotgun. You're like, oh, OK, this is like the final form. My favorite thing is Woody Harrelson shaved his head and never had hair ever again. <laughs> is it kind of the most badass way to like say i'm gonna go bald kind of i mean you could clearly see that he was balding throughout the movie but like it's very clear that like i think after this like he never really ever has hair ever yeah. again yeah he's like he goes i'm a bald <laughs> actor like you want me because i'm woody harrelson like he is kind of amazing in this movie this is a movie that clearly showed me that like oh oliver stone like knows how to make a fucking movie like he can make a movie the i think the problem is for me is that I don't think this movie... It doesn't land it pretty well. There's just something about it that just, like, rubs me the wrong way. And I just think it's, like, the way that, like, the end, I'm like, oh, we're rooting for these killers? Like, we're rooting for these people who, like, murdered, like, 48 people? <laughs> who uh, are, like... 52. 52. Yeah, who are, like, who, who like, Mickey, like, raped a hostage early on. I mean, okay. Oh, yeah, no, no. They're, they're bad people, but, like, it kind of proves, though that there are bad people on both sides of the line of justice. And I kind of like that Mickey's kind of not, like, apologetic about it. He goes, look, I'm a bad dude, man. He goes, but the thing is that separates him from Wayne is he goes, I'm not publicizing it, man. He goes, I do it because it's it's in my nature. Like, he goes, I'm not trying to get famous off of this. So in a way, you kind of got to respect, like, you don't have to respect, actually, that's not true. You got to be like, okay, at least he has a point. Like, he's not doing it for attention. He's doing it because it comes naturally to him. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I think the movie is trying to say something about, like, generational violence. And I don't think it ever comes close to, like, eloquently stating what it wants to state about it. I think it, like, attempts multiple times to, and I think multiple times it's like, eh, shrug. Okay. 
I can see that. So he get, he gives the interview. Woody Harrelson tells an amazing fucking joke. That joke is so funny. That joke might be the funniest moment in the entire movie. And they start to escape. And it's at this same time. Okay, here's my second question. Why would you ever be left alone with Mallory Knox if you're a man? And you're I not would making... never. No. <laughs> Tom Sizemore wants to die. I think that's, I think that's what it is. I mean, he Tom wants Sizemore to murder. But he, I, he, Tom Sizemore realizes that one that two people are going to enter this cage and one person's going to leave it. <laughs> oh man, because she like she just starts to play him like a fiddle, and then just starts to beat the shit out of him, and then she kind of gets the shit kicked out of him, and then Mickey shows up, and man, that's one of the cool. That's another Tarantino moment, the standoff moment. That feels very Tarantino. I kind of like the comeuppance that Scagnetti gets because he's mm-hmm. such a fucking bastard. I do like that scene. Ah, ah it's so weird because I like so much of this movie, but it just did not click with me. I get you. You know what and I mean? It's, and, yeah, and then it becomes kind of a riot in the prison because he... They, why would you let your prisoners watch the show? That feels that, That's on the warden. That's on the warden, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. That feels very stupid to me. Like, why would you By do the that? Way, by the way, my new favorite Tommy Lee Jones impression is, is when he's in the room and they go, there's a fire in the D-Wing. He goes, I can see the goddamn fire in the D-Wing. Like, you're just like, you're like, that man is stressed. Someone help Tommy Lee Jones. Or when they bring him like a list of the prisoners, it's like, why would I, I need a list of the prisoners to ask for a list of the hostages? <laughs> oh, he's so mad. And it's weird, too, because it's going on around him, but you know no one's coming towards the warden because he will fuck you up. Yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird movie that you almost would be like, what would this movie look like by today? Oh yeah, I think today you could you would I mean, there's a movie called The Poughkeepsie Tapes, which feels kind of in the similar vein of like critiquing media's response to like mass murders, but that movie is also, that good? No, I hate no. The Poughkeepsie Tapes. I mean, the, you might like it. We don't always have Thanks. the same taste, but I hate The Poughkeepsie Tapes. People like it. People, I've heard people talk glowing, give glowing reviews to Poughkeepsie Tapes. It's just not for me. I don't think you could get away with what this movie gets away with. I think it would have to be much more of a Nightcrawler type critique. Oh, oh that's that's an interesting look at how you could do this today. I feel like a Nightcrawler Natural Born Killers double would be really good. Yeah, I'd sit through that. Yeah. So here's my question. The other thing. Once again, this is why I think it's fate. There's a moment where they're like pinned down and they're being shot at, and then this guy just shows up. Yeah. Is his name Owen or something like that? Owen. Yeah, it's Owen. I come down here to think sometimes. And he just leads them. They just get out and like they use Robert Downey Jr. as a human shield. Robert Downey Jr. is weirdly on their side for some reason now. Robert Downey Jr. took, like, basically took up arms and is now just like shooting cops. How, because his crew gets shot at one point and he just pulls a gun and he's like, yo, motherfuckers! It's a strange breakdown. It does definitely feel like this is like kind of like we're getting like dream logic land where it's like, oh, it's like things are happening. It's like Blues Brothers. It's because they're on a mission from God that they that just yeah. everything kind of breaks their way. Yeah, exactly. It, it makes no sense why Lee Marvin should get that money as easily and do all the things he does as easily. But it is like it's made to be that way. Yeah. So they get out of the prison and the last scene you get is Wayne Gale signing off. And then they just like fucking say, we got to shoot you, man. 
they end his life. And they're like, but wait, you need you need one you need one person to t- to 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 tell the story. And they're like, we got that person. It's this camera, which is the real Twilight Zone moment, <laughs> because Mickey and Mallory always leave one person alive to tell the tale. You know what I think you would do now? I think if this movie was made now, what you would do What's is that? instead of instead of being natural born killers, it would be it would be American Maniacs. So you so would have like, like documentary style. Yes, you would have all of, like the dramatizations and stuff like that, and then it would end with like the prison riot and stuff all could being you, shot. Could could you do this? Could you shoot it documentary style for parts of it, and then could you, and then could you also when the guys aren't shooting the documentary, shoot that like film style? You could. I've seen people do that. Okay, because I know um, that's complicated, but I wonder if you could. I think it would be more of the like just like the film version of American Maniacs, the like a full like like ninety minute one. You'd have like the lead up to everything. You'd have the interview, and then you'd have like the oh, this is the live part where now we're shooting. There's a riot in the prison, and we're still like filming and stuff like that. I think who's that would a, be a really interesting take. Who's twenty twenty one's Mickey Knox? 2021's Mickey Knox. You know who I'd like to really scare America with? That's Spider-Boy, Tom Holland. I don't think he has the edge to pull that off. You know who I think? Who's that? Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, that's not bad, actually. Yeah, just let him, like, just be like, yeah, you've seen Nightcrawler. Make it worse. Yeah. And he's like, why'd you say it like that? You're like, don't worry about it. like a really unhinged Jake Gyllenhaal I think would be fucking terrifying but I'm wondering if there's like a good like a like a good like a like kind of like a Woody Harrelson like a guy from Texas that I'm just like not thinking of off the top of my head oh what about your guy who plays Tommy Lee Jones assistant in No Country for Old Men the other sheriff oh yes you love that guy yes 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 big yes big yes for the guy from Raising Hope okay well if we're if we're gonna if we're gonna do him or if we're gonna do that, we have to ask who's your Mallory, and then we'll get to the ninety four Oscars, which I've got four gripes with. Oh, that's way harder. I think it's Juno Temple. <laughs> Juno Temple okay. is the white trash hot belt holder in my opinion right now. Um, Anytime she comes on screen, she I'm like she gonna be smelly, but she gonna be hot. That's a that's a good. I agree with you. The guy we're talking about is Garrett uh, Dillahunt. Yes, that's right. Those two actually might work really well in a remake. I love. Who's the girl from Green Room that plays the... You know who I'm talking about, right? Oh, Imogen Poots? Imogen Poots. Or Imogen Poots, maybe? Imogen Poots. That's not bad, too. Oh, yeah, you can give her a bunch of ugly haircuts, too. Just give her the haircut from Green Room. That fucking weird, it's, like that's that's right her wig. wig. Fucking that's her that's her wig. That's her wig haircut. I've only ever seen that in Western Oregon. Fucking Nazis. Yeah, that whatever that haircut is. <laughs> Ugly is what it's called. So it's bad. You get image and poots. Okay, that's not bad. Here's here's my problem. The sixty seventh Academy Awards. Oh God, it's this one. Fucking shit. I know. I know. That's one of my big problems. Okay. I want to start with best cinematography. Okay. Here are your nominees. Wyatt Earp, Red, Shawshank Redemption, Forrest Gump, and they would all lose out to Legends of the Fall. 
another movie we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Where is the cinematography for Natural Born Killers? That's my biggest complaint, honestly, in some ways. Yeah, I I think that's the. I mean, that's my strong point for Natural Born Killers. And if I if if I had a vote, it would be on here, for sure. You can kick out. You can kick out Wyatt Earp, and you can kick out Forrest Gump, as far as I'm concerned. Red and Shawshank will stay, and of course, Legends has to stay because it wins. I was gonna say, I'm like, you better not say a bad word about Three Colored Red. No, no, no. Red is a Red is a beautiful movie. No, I would yeah. never kick Red out. I know what that is. Yeah. You'll notice yeah. on my thing if you look at it, it clearly sees that I clicked on Red, so I would make sure that wasn't something you were in love with. You almost got yelled at. <laughs> I was ready. <laughs> shut I had your the... fucking mouth, Ben. No, you shut it. Like, I don't want to fucking like hear it. I'm just like, I'm like, I was like, I, 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 I know. I'm going to say this for supporting actor. Like, I think Tom Sizemore is a pretty strong candidate. However, I would like to see Rodney Dangerfield at the Oscars just once. And I think you can easily kick out, like, Chaz Palminteri for Bullets Over Broadway. Like, I was going to say, Bullets Over Broadway? What? Oh, just wait. It gets weirder when we go up. Yeah, so I would put him in there, and it would also be Gary Sinise for Forrest Gump, Paul Schofield for a Quiz Show, Samuel Jackson for Pulp Fiction, and Martin Landau would win for Ed Wood. But... I think Rodney Dangerfield has like a solid seven minute scene where you're just like, holy fuck, Rodney Dangerfield's a really good actor if he wants to be. You know where I think this would win? And it's not an Academy Award. It's a it's a Golden Globe. But I think or maybe it's not Golden Globe. I think it's SAG, actually. But the uh, best ensemble. Yeah, I think it's a good, good choice for best ensemble. I mean, it would probably lose to Pulp Fiction, but I could see that getting nominated. It would at least be worth having in there. Yeah. Best Actress, you have Susan Sarandon for The Client, Winona Ryder for Little Women, Miranda Richardson for Tom and Viv, Jodie Foster for Nell, and Jessica Lange would win for Blue Sky. I'm going to say it, Juliette Lewis should be in over Miranda Richardson. I've never heard of Tom and Viv. Everything else on there has at least stood up to the test of time. So I don't know, you could Miranda, probably Miranda. drop Nell. I don't... Is Nell That's good? That's true, Jodie... Like Jodie Foster, Jodie Foster had like an Oscar by that point. So yeah, she you're had fine. Two Oscars. She had back to back Oscars. Oh yeah, that's right. Fuck her. Yeah, bye Nell. Sorry, Miranda Richardson. I'm really sorry I held you over the side of the plane. I'm really sorry. <laughs> With that rock tied to you. Best actor, John Travolta for Pulp Fiction, Paul Newman for Nobody's Fool, Nigel Hawthorne for The Madness of King George, Morgan Freeman for The Shawshank Redemption, which is fucking surprising when you think about that movie. Not the lead. <laughs> I know, right? That's the part that's baffling. What movie did they watch? <laughs> and they would all lose out to Tom Hanks for Forrest Gump. And for me, I mean, I would kick off Nigel Hawthorne and there's Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson is on fire the entire time this movie is on. Like when he talks yeah. about key lime pie, I'm like, I hate key lime pie, but I'd like some key lime pie right now. Yeah, Nigel Hawthorne can. I, I, even though Morgan Freeman is in the wrong category, it's clearly category fraud. I don't want to kick him out. I think it's a good yeah. performance in a, in an okay at best movie. Wow. Shots fired. <laughs> not really. Not really. Like it's it's understandable. I don't think you're of a certain age. Like that thing for certain people was on cable every day. I was one of those people. I've seen that movie seven hundred times. Like, Look, it's I just, understand. I've seen plenty of movies 700 times. Let me tell you, 
just because I've seen it 700 times doesn't mean it's one of the best movies of all time. I'm not saying I'm not saying that. There's a weird rewatchable factor to it. That's a, that's all I'm saying. All right. Do you want to give best director? What the fuck? Why is Bullets Over Broadway like in so many of these categories? Okay, okay, good. I'm I'm glad you see who we're gonna throw out of the plane. Yeah. So you have my man Christoph Kozlowski for Three Colors Red, Robert Redford for Quiz Show, Quentin Tarantino for Pulp Fiction, Redacted for Bullets Over Broadway, Robert Zemeckis for Forrest Gump. <laughs> Redacted. Oh, I'm glad you're not punishing the movie. No. <laughs> All right, that's that's good. Actually, I don't hate that. Actually, that's how I'm going to refer to Redacted for the rest of this uh, podcast lifespan. Fair enough. It's going to be weird when we do the Mount Rushmore of Awesomeness profiles Redacted. It's going to be a long, hard road for that one. Or say Woody Allen, you nerd. Live and live and on stage. We'll only do it. We'll only do Woody Allen's Mount Rushmore if we can do it live on stage. And I'm getting paid like two hundred thousand dollars. Oh come on, you do it for like forty thousand. Forty thousand is pretty good amount of money, but still, I I'm holding out for two hundred thousand dollars until <laughs> that's that's your sellout, huh? Until someone brings me the money, I could live off two hundred thousand dollars for like. Oh yeah, no. If years. I had, if, if I got like. God forbid, if my parents like drop dead tomorrow, I would just be like, yeah, I'm I'm just retiring. Like, I'm just going to retire now and just like let it work for me. Like, yeah, like it's easily to live off two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. If that was what they gave me, I'd be like, yeah, that's exactly it. We both agree that I think we should drop redacted and put in Oliver Stone even. I mean, sure, there's the Rodney King footage, which you seemed really mad about. It's really upsetting. It's fucking stupid to put that in there. Let's look at picture. For best picture. Do you want to go one by one? Sure. Okay. At the bottom slot, we have The Shawshank Redemption. Quiz show. Pulp Fiction. Four weddings and a funeral. Curveball. Interesting. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. And you have your eventual winner, Forrest Gump, a movie that... I when I saw it brought up on a on a web video, I said the ult, I called it the ultimate boomer movie, and I stand by that assessment. I just want America to acknowledge that the mother fucked the principal to give him a better life. Sally Field deserves a fucking holiday named after her for that performance. Like that's a that's something no one contemplates in that movie, and it won a Best Picture award. There's a think- scene where Sally Field fucks a guy to give her mentally challenged son a better life, and it won a Best Picture award. It is so bad, and yet so good. I'm going to disagree with your and-so-good assessment. I think my favorite thing about that scene is Sally Fields, I believe, is like 10 years older than Tom Hanks. Like the, dis- pretty- <laughs> the discrepancy between like Sally Fields playing like the old mom and Tom Hanks is like 10 years. <laughs> What's my purpose, Mama? Well, mine was to fuck a bunch of people so you'd have a better life. So I don't know what your purpose is. Maybe you figure it out, Forrest. I'm dying here. That movie also says that, like, if you, like, a lefty, like, protester and, like, do drugs, you eventually get AIDS. Like, that's what that movie says. I fucking hate that movie. Oh. It appears I've found Tarantino script. It appears that like Scagnetti and the warden McCluskey like get introduced like immediately. Like page, what is this? 
seven. Huh. Yeah, we don't get Scagnetti till like twenty minutes in, so probably like page yeah. twenty. And we don't get we don't get McCluskey until like deep in the in the movie, like like an hour in almost. What do you kick out of the best picture? Because I don't uh, want to kick out four weddings and a funeral. I keep four weddings. I would probably kick out Forrest Gump, but <laughs> you can't. It's gotta. It's gotta stay. Yeah, because it wins. What else was in there? I closed that uh, tab. The Shawshank Redemption, Quiz Show, Pulp Fiction, Four Weddings and a Funeral. I guess Shawshank? I almost want to say Quiz Show, but at the same time, I don't think you can. It's too good. No, Quiz Show's too good. Yeah, maybe it is Shawshank, because you can't do Pulp Fiction. No, see, the problem is Pulp Fiction and Natural Born Killers in the same year is way too much of a dream sequence. That's why it couldn't happen. Yeah. I also think it's because Natural Born Killers didn't do very well. Oh, really? Uh, Did it fail? It made its money back, but it was like a $30 million budget and made $50 million. So that's probably why you don't see it at any of the Oscar stuff. That's fair. So, yeah. That's also unfair that that's what should get a movie to be up for awards. It shouldn't be how it does. It should be how good it is. I agree with you, but a lot of getting a movie an award is getting being successful. Yeah. When's the last time a movie's been nominated that like didn't make a didn't make its budget back? Yeah, that's very true. I'm sure someone has an answer out there somewhere, but I off the top of my head I can't think of it. I want to say like The Hurt Locker did exceptionally poor. And, like, that won a Best Picture. Like, that's one of the lowest, like, grossing Best Pictures of all time. But I think it was, it still had made its money. I think when it was nominated, it was, like, $16 million budget and made $40 million. And then after it won, it ended up making, like, over, like, $100 Because people were like, what the fuck? <laughs> I think the biggest bomb I can possibly remember, like, the biggest bomb off the top of my head that I know that I got nominated for a Best Picture Oscar is Dr. Doolittle. Which I think has seven million dollar budget and made nine million. And then I've got nominated for best picture. <laughs> yeah, the original. Okay. So yeah, I guess we would ask the question of what would we pair this with? What would you pair this with? Probably Paper Moon again, just to see who I can get to show up to that double. Actually, that's going to be our first double feature, where you have to both pay for it and then have to repay for the next one. There's no discount where you can pay with them together. Because we, we can't allow children to come see Natural Born Killers after they see Paper Moon. Smart, 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 yeah, smart. I think. I think. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and the people who do show up with kids to both, you're, you're getting a net dropped on you. I mean, what do you give this? I give this, I almost, out of habits of five stars, I give this, I think, like two stars. Wow. It, I think there's stuff that you can get out of it. I think it's good in some some respects, but it really fucking tried my patience. This is this is four and three quarters. <laughs> like this is like this is like I think this is his unsung masterpiece. Like I fucking think Oliver Stone is firing on all cylinders. I think this is him at the height of his power saying, fuck you. I'm going to make the weirdest movie I can. And I think it's a massive swing for the fences. It doesn't necessarily hit a home run. But my God, does it like like the guy who catches that ball like he gets the wind knocked out of him. Mm hmm. And it's got two of my favorite performances. Like, and also, fuck it, I'll say that. I think fucking Tom Sizemore is on fire during this movie. Like, every second he's on screen. Great performances abound all around in this movie. But yeah, well, I guess that takes us out of it. And 
guess the only question left is, what does the next customer want to rent? They want to rent monster movies. Ah, yes, monster movies. Well, we're going to start with a movie from 2004. And it's a little movie about the Catholic Church and the lies that they covered up. And it's called Deliver Us From Evil. And then from 2020, we are going to watch a movie about Jeffrey Epstein called Filthy Rich. It's a documentary that just came out on Netflix. I'm just kidding. We're not watching either of those. Those are not. Yeah, the I'm going to break your. I'm going to fly to Reno and break your hands. I swear to God. <laughs> no, you know what? I don't believe you. We are watching those. There. No, fuck off. I'm not doing that. <laughs> no, but in all honesty, we are first going to travel back to the year 1953. And we are going to watch a movie that my wife's mother's boyfriend, Greg, says is his favorite movie. And we are going to watch The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Yeah. And then we are going to jump in our time machine and jump 60 years into the future to 2013, where a group of scrappy 'er ne'er-do-wells get together along with Charlie Hunnam, Idris Elba, Charlie Day, And they tell us we are going to cancel the apocalypse. We are going to watch Guillermo del Toro's much underappreciated in America, but mega box office hit overseas, Pacific Rim. Yeah. Un, yeah. That's that's my current feeling. (laughs) What's that? What's un, yeah? There was like a Wii thing for like the the Nintendo. You could hit like a yeah button on a post. And then if you wanted to un, yeah, you could hit un, yeah. So yeah, so, so beef beef of 2007s, yeah, the Pacific Rim on yeah. I think you're gonna get more out of Pacific Rim this time. That movie's very clever. Maybe, maybe. Uh, well, you guys can always follow us at TWGTF Pod on Twitter. See what we're posting. We always have every episode posted there. So if there's one you want to go back and reference and listen to, you can listen all there. You can follow me at ET Critic for the Empty Theater Critic. See what I wrote about this week watched escape from new york recently that movie fucking rules but yeah you can find us all there tyler is there anything you want to plug i'm stealing cars in marseille and for twgtf two white guys talking film i'm of course been your host ben and i've been a natural born killer and remember guys if you come into the video store and you see someone ordering key lime pie just try to be the last one alive because actually you know that'll work out for you just, just just leave you know, just just get out of there. But then it's just you and me. Who's going to be the last one left alive? Well, you'll see. Just two white guys talking film. Baby, I've been waiting. No.
love me But you see my hands were tied And I know it must have hurt you It must have hurt your pride To have to stand beneath my window With your bugle and your drum Absolutely wrong 
give and take Nothing left to do When you're begging for a crown Nothing left to do When you've got to go on waiting You mentioned that there's a other movie with Breathless made with Richard Gere in the 80s. Is that true? There's a 1983 version of Breathless. It's an American remake of the French film made by Richard Gere and Valerie Kapirsky. So it's a movie made by a female director. Mm-hmm. And movie made by a male director. Rich- male director. And it stars Richard Gere. And he's the guy in Breathless. Yeah, he plays Michael. Or he plays Jesse, I think they rename him. I think they name him Jesse. Oh, God. Is it good? It's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's it's. Oh, was it really? A, yeah, no. It it's directed by Joe McBride, who direct who would probably be most famous for David Holerman's Diary. It's good. It's kind of and it's kind of like a, it's taking, whereas like Breathless was like a European art film taking like the place of like an American noir. It's kind of like an American noir kind of made like a European art movie. So it kind of feels like those 80s neo-noirs like Body Heat and Blood Simple. But it was made before them. That's kind of like the updates to the old noir ideas. It's good. It's not, I don't know if it's as good as Breathless, but I like it. It's a little less dreamy and and a little bit more like sun-kissed L.A. slums. It's, I don't know. I think it's fun. I think Jim McBride is a a solid director. Um, And I think it's a good movie. Interesting. Okay, I'm gonna maybe have to look into it. What? Welcome everybody to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from the streets of Paris that are just on the edge of the sea, to the roads of America where people are just uh, 
just doing awful things. This is Two White Guys Talking Film. I'm, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Uh, correction, Paris, nowhere near the sea. Well, why, why was she looking over the sea at one point? She's looking over the Champs de Elites. It's the, huh? it's the famous river, the Chand, what is it, the Chand de Elance? I don't know how to right, pronounce hold it. Hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this again. I was there when the hit the fan of Grenada. The one, the only, Tom Savini as Jack Scagnetti. Savini. What's that? Sizemore. Yeah. Oh, to, oh you said fuck. Tom Savini. <laughs> you said Tom Savini, what are you talking about? Yeah. You said um, Tom Savini. No, it's crazy talk. Oh, that'll be at the end. I'm innocent, yes I am. Of murder, definitely. So, you want to hear something weird about this year's Academy Awards? The 67th? Yeah. yeah. What, what, Peter Capaldi was the recipient of the Best Live Action Short Film uh, co-winner. Yeah. I had he, no idea. He co-wrote and directed uh, Franz Kafka's It's a Wonderful Life. Huh. I had no idea. Yeah. Peter Capaldi, man of many talents. I've got a few questions I'd like to start off with, if you don't mind. I mean, this year, Dr. Doolittle might get nominated for another Oscar, because might be the only movie that came fucking out this year. So, who knows? Zing! Don't you love the idea of, like, it goes, like, it's just the picture is, like, Robert Downey Jr. in the Dr. Doolittle pose, kind of, like, being like, huh? And it just says, for your consideration. I mean, what the fuck else came out this year? <laughs> <laughs> At least we came for out! <laughs> yeah, for your consideration, can you name another movie? Question mark. Bet you can't. Bet you can't. Gentle- gentleman doesn't count. You already said it. <laughs> I'm like, fuck. Uh, the turning? And he's like, oh, you have defeated me. Oh. Just, the Eliza. best picture is fucking the turning, Hansel and Gretel, visible man. <laughs> the gentleman. Oh, right. The gentleman. Dr. Doolittle. Leave it out. <laughs> Dr. Doolittle. And the Seattle Mariners documentary, which is yes. just a, which is just a <laughs> wild card that nobody sees coming. They're like, and it's all thanks to two little boys who got behind it. Eight-year-olds Ben Colton and 12 years old Tyler Marsh. And I'm like, I don't think they know how old we are. Oh, my friend Nathan watched it. He fucking loved it. It's so good. It's so great. There's a moment where we just break from talking about Gone with the Wind last week and we just talk about David Ortiz being involved. I can't wait to listen to it. Ah, one more. Mother says to sister, you can go to the drive-in with Bobby, but you got to take little Johnny with you. Sister goes, okay. So they go, they come back, and uh, mother grabs little Johnny's side, says, all right, now, what happened? Little Johnny can't talk. Mother says, okay, they went to the drive-in. I know that. What happened then? Little Johnny goes, Oh, they were kissing. What else? You heard this one? <laughs> what else? Little Johnny goes. Hey, he felt her up. <laughs> what else? Little Johnny goes. They took off their clothes. Well, what else? Little Johnny goes. They did that. What the hell were you doing? Little Johnny goes. Little 